Hello, I'm Tim Harris. This is Julie Harris, and this is Real Estate Coaching Radio. That's right. So make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Thanks again for popping by. Hit that like button, and don't forget to leave your comments and questions so we can get right back with you. We will. Thank you for continuing to make our podcast, Real Estate Coaching Radio, the number one listened to podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. And let us know what you think about this video. Leave your comments below. Thank you. Three, two, one, and we are back. And this is day two of your top 10 real estate lead and business models rated. So what we're doing this week, and yesterday was obviously day one, this being day two, that should be obvious, is we're going through and rating and reviewing and comparing and contrasting all the top 10 most common real estate business models. Without going into a long breath of explanation, really at the end of the day, you guys are all going to migrate towards one or two or three different lead generation models, and we want you to choose wisely. Um, And we also want you to consider the fact that the best real estate agents we've ever coached, the ones making the most money, selling the most houses that have been in the business for the longest periods of time, they've worked their businesses up to the point where they have five to seven proven lead generation models, or lead generation as we refer to it, spokes. And if you don't know what a spoke is, a quick review, spokes on the wheel, um, a bicycle wheel with five to seven spokes is obviously going to have more strength and integrity than a, bo- uh, you know, say a wheel with one spoke. And we want you to work towards having five to seven spokes and uh, choose wisely and choose which ones you're going to put on the wheel first, because if you choose one that's fragile, you're going to soon decide or soon discover as you're rolling down the road that guess what? Your wheel was built with, uh, frankly, fragile spokes. That's right. And we realize that it can be very difficult for you to navigate through your own decision tree on this. So we're going to help you figure out all of the good, the bad, and the ugly of each one of these spokes. We're going to consider things like the cost in terms of time and money, and sometimes both, the level of skill required and how hard that skill might be to get. Maybe some of these require less or more skill. Is it passive or is it active? How efficient is it? In other words, how long is it going to take for you to get results from this? So we're going to apply all of those things to each of these different sources, or as we call them, spokes. Yesterday, we talked about geographic farming. We talked about probate attorneys and divorce attorneys. And I think today you wanted to talk about NOD, which stands for Notice of Default, as well as Distressed Property, which encompasses short sales and REOs as well. Okay, so let's talk about that. Now, What again, Julie just said it, but I'm going to repeat it. Some of you... Frankly, if you've been in the business for 15 years or less, you've never really had to worry about notice defaults or distressed real estate. And you've been very lucky for that. Let me tell you, Julie and I have been in business for 25 years, and especially during the last housing crash, 07 through 09, everything was notice defaults and distressed. And it was it was just awful. It just was. Now, it wasn't awful for the agents who were actually listing the REOs, who actually knew how to do short sales. It wasn't awful for the agents that had the skill set to actually get the homes sold in that market because of that market. So notice the defaults and distressed. How do you know what are the pluses and the minuses? The pluses and the minuses are simple. You have incredibly motivated sellers when it comes to distressed real estate. If it's a short sale, that seller is very motivated. If it's an REO property, real estate owned, right? by a bank, that's incredibly motivated. That's an incredibly motivated seller. Those relationships, generally speaking, are very transactional. And with the exception of maybe some short sale listings that um, you you might uh, stumble across, 
the short sales are sometimes highly emotional, whereas REOs are low emotion. But it really, at the end of the day, you're dealing with the very best, the most motivated seller you can possibly ever have. It's somebody that has no choice other than just to sell the property. The quintessential have-to-sell seller, as yep. our Harris Certified Coaches call them. There is a big difference between a want-to-sell seller, you know, maybe aspirationally priced. Well, we'll sell if we can get our price in this special circumstance versus in this category of distressed short sale REO and notice of default, we have to sell. And that could be the bank, as you said, or it could be the actual homeowner. One way or the other, keeping the home is not an option. And what does that mean to you as a listing agent? It means you're going to have a realistic price, a realistic time frame. And the other thing that I like about this, remember, we promised to give them the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. The other thing is uh, this tends to be a full commission transaction. Yep. So that's good. And in many cases, once you've established how you know, you're going to work the system, you, you tend to have less competition. You might on a short sale, but once you have a bank relationship, you are the go-to person for as long as you're doing a killer job for that asset manager or that bank. Back in 07, uh, we started teaching agents how to do short sales. And in 08, we started teaching agents how to work directly with uh, the banks to get REOs. We worked with the FDIC. We worked with all the major uh, servicers, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. SunTrust was huge then. Yeah, we we did all these direct uh, – we were working directly with the lenders, the servicers is what they really were, to find agents to list the properties. And then what happened is the market – two things happened. The market became – here's this word again – oversaturated, too many people chasing the same opportunity. And then the banks started basically, um, frankly, cutting commissions in a lot of cases. But the other thing that happened, especially with some of the biggest REO relationships, these would be with Fannie and Freddie and things like sure. that, is those Fannie and Freddie would put out, I think it was every 12 or 24 months, they'd put out for bid the contract to be the listing agent in maybe LA or maybe all of California for those assets. And yeah, there are some agents that we were coaching that became the most dominant agents in the United States. Because they had all the REO listings. Matter of fact, um, a friend of ours, Leo Pajara, who now works at EXP Realty, was, uh, I believe, at Keller Williams, was the number one agent in Keller Williams, in, like globally. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, it was because of his REO relationships. Yeah, I mean, it was, you talk about lead flow for a while there, that was just spectacular. You talk about having listing inventory yourself. These REO and short sale agents, they didn't just have their active listings. They also had a steady pipeline of coming soon listings. And that was, you know, really a fantastic spoke for, what would you say, maybe two and a half, three and a half years until it became oversaturated. Some of the rules changed. Again, what works for you today can change on you. And this is another reason to have multiple spokes. Well, so that's the plus. Now we're going to give you the minus. Why also did it change other than oversaturated? The uh, Essentially, the government started to step in and started to, well, I can't say stop foreclosures, but they certainly stopped foreclosures, well, right? Well, there was the era of the loan modification for a while. Loan modification. Two or three years. Short sales started to come more um, prevalent. And then what happened is that the whole thing started to completely change. Like you think when there's, and a lot of people now, if you've not been in the real estate business for a long period of time, I know there are people out there trying to sell you short sale designations and short sale this is and the other things and are trying to let you know there's going to be all this distressed real estate coming. So now we're going to pivot to the na the negative side. Uh, and here it is. There is no big sea change happening with real estate uh, values. Thus, there will not be a huge opportunity in distressed real estate. Julie has all kinds of numbers, hopefully memorized. Yes. Well, so consider the fact that you cannot be a distressed homeowner. Distressed meaning you're upside down. You owe more than your home is worth. 
if you don't owe anything on your home. 50% of homeowners in the United States do not have any mortgage, thus they cannot actually be distressed. Now, you can be a distressed homeowner in the sense that you're not making payments and have equity in your house yes. and actually go into default, thus a notice to default. Mm-hmm. So you, and you might want to look for this, right? In your marketplace, there are always going to be notice of defaults. And especially after the last three years, notice defaults, almost all of them are going to have a lot of equity in their properties. So you're going to be able to call that notice to default or in some cases mail them or knock on their door and you're going to offer them the opportunity to have a graceful exit out of the house and they're going to be able to sell the house. You're going to be able to give them a check because what happens ultimately if the house goes through the whole foreclosure process, all of the fees, all of the, really their, uh, their, piles on. their equity basically is depleted faster than you can possibly imagine because the banks pile on fees, the attorneys pile on fees, the process is very expensive. And in some cases, whatever equity the seller would have had, had they sold the house uh, with you prior to it going into uh, foreclosure, they have lost it all basically because of the process. And meanwhile, it, their credit is wrecked as well. So we teach you how to explain all this to a prospective notice of default seller in your particular market. But here's the ultimate problem. Now pay attention to what I'm about to tell you guys. So in now I'm going to round the numbers up and I'm not going to give you exact numbers because frankly, I don't have them memorized. Julie probably does, but here it is. So of all the homes in the United States, 50% of them are owned outright. Of the other 50% that have loans on them, that have mortgages on them, most, if not all of those loans, and the only loans this does not, mortgages this is not relevant for, are the ones that were taken out in the first half of 2022, right? right? And frankly, up to this point when rates went up. So everyone prior to that has a low interest rate mortgage of at least 3.5%. But even if you had a higher rate mortgage, you're going to have inflation, which will have increased the value of your home, meaning that you have equity in your house. So your worst case scenario is you put 10% down, you bought the first half of 2022, um, the market, the values dropped a little bit in your particular market. I'm thinking about you, San Francisco, and all these other things. And you might be at you might be even with what the house is, you owe what you what the house is worth. Well, wait a year, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But here's the real punchline where there's not going to be a big opportunity with distressed real estate. Because of the homes with a mortgage that, you know, remember, 50% are owned outright. The other 50% have on average a 50% equity in the properties. Yes, that's right. So the the possibility of actually owing more than your home is worth that will only have happened if somebody just very recently yeah, refinanced and pulled a whole bunch of equity out. And even then, all you have to do is wait you know, six months and they're already not upside down anymore. Now, the people that are trying to sell you into the belief that there's a big sea change happening, there's going to be a lot of distressed real estate. They're calling it a forbearance crisis. They have never, they didn't sell real estate during the, they're either, I don't know, I mean, I'm wanting to bite my tongue and not use the actual words I'm thinking. But the reality of it is, is either, they either don't know that they're telling you something that's uh, not true or they're doing it intentionally. But here's really the punchline. There will not be a, the only thing that would make us wrong. The only thing that would make us wrong is if there was an enormous increase in unemployment. That's it. And then if that were to happen and a whole bunch of homes were to come for sale, then you'd see potentially people um, racing for the access and you could see a distressed uh, market in a very small environment. So if you're living in some sort of, you know, isolated rural type community where they're making widgets and all of a sudden the widget company is relocated to a different part of the world and there's a whole bunch of homeowners there and Julie, Julie and I experienced this when we were selling real estate. 
uh, you're going to see that particular market become depressed and there's going to be, you know, distressed real estate in that area where maybe, you know, 15 minutes away, there is no distressed real estate. micro pockets. But even then, remember, the banks are probably going to be willing to give you a forbearance for at least six months, maybe 12 months, maybe even 18 months for you to get your act back together, either sell the house, relocate, get another job, get a second job, your spouse gets a job. That's very, very different. All of these factors. So I think what you were trying to uh, avoid sounding <laughs> direct about was that if somebody says and and hangs their hat on this, you know, forbearances are going to do crash and, you know, the housing market is going to hit the fan because the prices went up. They are ignorant of the statistics. That's what I would say. They're, they're either ignorant of the fact. They're either ignorant or they're choosing not to tell you the truth for the sake of trying to sell all you their widget. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Because the, the circumstances are very different. Credit is very high. Equity is very high. Interest rates were very low. Employment, it's not hard to go out and get a job right now. So if if that were to happen and we have a massive amount of unemployment, the banks are going to step in. The government's going to have programs. And it the possibility of it all just hitting the fan one day, like it really did back in 2007 and 8, none of those factors are actually at play right now. So here's the punchline to this. Yes, notice of defaults can happen because somebody can lose their job, stop making their payment, even if the house is paid off. That is in your market at a small percentage, that can happen. She misspoke slightly. No fault can happen if your house is paid off, but you can roll into a property tax situation. Right. But she, she, you guys, or other liens. There's tax liens. Right. There's so, things so like even that. in a really strong seller's market, you're still going to see the occasional notice default or the occasional foreclosure. Right. But, but very occasional. It is such a tiny. What, Julie? What percent of all mortgages are in default? We're, we're actually at an all-time low, and I check this just about every 30 days. It is less than one percent of mortgages in the United States. So you have a decision to make. <laughs> you can go after the 99% who are not in default, or, you know, I do think there is a place for this, Tim. You can scan for these. Maybe you work four or five different zip codes and you look at foreclosures.com. You have systems that will tell you this. And now and then, maybe to supplement your listing inventory or to find a particular type of home for your buyer that might not be in the MLS yet, I think that there's a place for that to just supplement and have the skill to be able to help somebody like that. However, I I don't think that you should count on this as being a really strong lead flow unless you're in one of those circumstances like, you know, you've got a town or a building or something like that. But that's so unusual. And guess what? If this was 2007, 2008 and you guys are asking us which to focus <laughs> on first, we would be telling you short sales. We'd be telling you notice of defaults. We'd be telling you REOs. We, that's what we'd be telling you 100%. to do. But we're not telling you now. Now, if, again, there's some sort of, you know, black swan event. And there have been quite a few black swan events yeah. in the last you know, 15 years. But if sure. there is one and there will be isolated pockets of a, where there will be legitimately distressed real estate, we will tell you how to do it. We will tell you the latest and the greatest systems on how to do it. We will tell you how to work directly with the banks. We're not focusing on that right now because it's not a really, frankly, a viable opportunity. But there are the pluses and the minuses mm -hmm. of having notice of default and distressed as a lead generation spoke for you today, six months from now, 12 months from now. Maybe a different story, but it's not very viable today. Next spoke. Now, this next mm -hmm. spoke we really like. And I'll tell you the reason we really like it is because so many people don't understand how to make the most of it. And again, if you're choosing for a, a next spoke to put, you know, essentially to build your lead generation wheel, open houses. Yes. And we just absolutely love open houses, as do the coaches. Why? Because we coach you to do an open house system. Now, there's a very distinct difference between 
what some agents will say, well, I tried an open house. I sat an open house. That drives me crazy. I sat an open house. Okay. So that means you did absolutely nothing. So you didn't get any results versus having a systematic approach. We have a multi-stage approach that will give you absolutely predictable, duplicatable, not just buyer leads, but also listing leads and the more expensive home. So one of the, the points of the coaches drive home is the house you choose is really important. The more expensive it is and the easier it is to access, you know, popular neighborhoods, the more likely it is that your open house attendees will not just be looking to buy in that neighborhood, but also come to you with a listing to sell in the neighborhood that moves up or moves in. So this, you know, our coaching clients report all the time that when they follow the system, the system isn't hard to learn and it's not expensive. It's low skill. Open yes. houses are low skill. Open houses are free. And open houses also are going to get you in front of usually, believe it or not, the best buyers, but we want you focusing on sellers. But remember, depending on the price point, yes. a lot of the people walking in, you know, uh, presenting themselves as buyers actually have a home to sell. So you're going to be, I mean, we always suggest if you, in every marketplace, imagine there's a first time home buyer price range, there's a place, you know, move up price range, and then there's a, it's called a luxury price range. And I realize in many markets, there's like maybe three or four different price ranges above that. But just for the sake of explanation, hold open houses that are in that middle segment, because then you're going to get the move up, you're going to give up the move up uh, buyer who then has a property to sell. And you also might get somebody that's in a, you know, quote unquote, luxury or higher end home, Downsizing. more expensive house, right? downsizing to that mid-range home. So you're going to most likely pick up multiple transactions. But here's the thing that's nice about open houses. Unlike, say, for example, some of the other lead sources we're going to tell you about, um, open houses, again, generally are speaking, generally speaking, are going to get you the best quality leads. I know that sounds strange. Tim, how can that possibly be true? These are just, you know, Bob and Susan driving by on their way to Walmart. Well, there are quite a few looky loos. You're going to get a lot of that for sure. Sure. But what happens is, is people start their searches online with internet leads. Generally speaking, nowadays, like back, some of you have been in the business for as long as we have, you know, decades ago, it would be newspapers. It would be things that it would be home magazines and things like that. And I know a lot of the country still has home magazines, which know, is funny. Right. So, yeah, yeah, you're going to start your search there and then you're going to then focus in on a particular city, then maybe a particular neighborhood. School then maybe... district, maybe. Exactly. So what happens is that people will sift and sort and they'll drill down even more and more and more until they decide what particular little geographic area they want to live. And then maybe they're even going to decide what neighborhood and then maybe they're going to decide what streets. So the people driving the neighborhoods, again, are going to be the most motivated type of potential leads for you, whereas the internet leads that you guys pay such extraordinary amounts of money for, which we'll talk about um, again here probably in a second, maybe today or tomorrow, as a lead generation spoke, those are the least motivated. Sort of like, again, for those of you who have been in the business forever, or maybe you've seen one of these homes magazines, when you're standing at line at the grocery store and you grab a homes magazine and you throw it in the bag, you're not even remotely interested in buying or selling real estate. You're just look, you know, it's real estate porn, basically. You, you didn't go there to look at real estate. You went there to buy groceries, right? So you have to follow the intention. When somebody intentionally goes to an open house in the particular neighborhood that they would love to live in, they are intentionally wanting to have a real estate conversation. Now, there is a, a certain percentage that, you know, they're just house connoisseurs. They're looking for decorating ideas. But that's not all of them. And if you have held opens before and you either have not gotten anybody to attend or you have not gotten good results, it's because you're missing key parts of the open house system, yep. such as, and I'm not going to go through all of them, that's what coaching is for, such as following up on the same evening 
ending using an open house follow-up script instead of sitting on those leads or assuming, well, they'll just call me if they're ready. That right there is the biggest sin, right? Whether you guys become coaching clients or not, remember Julie just told you that. Absolutely, positively, call those people back. Julie says the evening, but you got to call every single person back. Of course, you're going to need to know how to get their phone numbers and their names, which we teach you to do in the system. But this is what most of you are taught to do. Put them in a CRM and drip on them. Drip. No, do not drip on them. I'm going to give you guys a little, we actually should add a spoke. I'll, I'm going to do a spoke. Okay. I just thought of another one. Sure, sure. Okay, so so there it is. That's open houses. Big advocates of them. What's the downside of doing open houses? I can't think of one. I mean, you're going to spend some time, but I wouldn't even call that a downside because, again, we have an example of in, you, we were talking yesterday about one contact, multiple uh, opportunities with the attorneys. Well, this is one event, your open house for two or three hours, multiple opportunities. You're going to meet lots of people people. And the other reason we like this as coaches is because it builds your skill. You get used to actually talking to people, having real real estate conversations, using your lead follow-up scripts, using your pre-qualification scripts. So I honestly, I don't think there is a downside. I guess if you chose the wrong house, you tried to, right. to hold something open that was up a hill with a twisty road behind a <laughs> gate where you had to talk to the HOA president on and a sunny a afternoon. There's a bunch of mean dogs. And there were Rottweilers in the front lawn and, you know, maybe, but that was on you for picking the wrong house. So aside from those simple mistakes that we cure you of in coaching, I really don't see that there's a downside. And, you know, I mean, you and I... I did countless transactions from open houses. Our coaches certainly have. That's why they are qualified to coach you on this. And certainly our uh, coaching clients are really, really good at this. I love open houses because it puts agents in direct contact, belly to belly, voice to voice with humans. And yes. I love it because it's good for a new agent. It's good for a seasoned veteran agent. Mm -hmm. If you're a super high end luxury agent, you're saying... Tim, I'm too high-polloid to do open houses. I'm right. too busy, busy, busy. Sunday's my day for tennis or golf. Well, then that's fine because guess what? You're going to have some other agent that's going to come to your market that's going to start doing open houses and get those potential leads and get those potential relationships. Sellers love to see agents making an effort, mm -hmm. especially in a market like this. Some of you have become complacent, lazy, arrogant even, believing that the business is just going to come to you because it always has. Now the market's changed. Now sellers are going to become more particular. And if yep. they see somebody in that in your particular area, I'm speaking to you, high-end agent, and they're hustling, they're doing the opens, they're inviting, they're following our system. They're doing a neighbors only open prior. They're doing uh in, you, They're not, following the system. They're following the system. Yeah. That seller, all the sellers that that agent comes in contact with is going to remember that, you know, it's Sunday and here's this agent working their ass off to obviously try to sell their neighbor's house. Trust me when I tell you in a transitioning market like what we are in. This is when the most disruption actually happens because the, there are certain agents that are willing to change, willing to do what others aren't willing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much technological. Everyone talks about, you know, chat, the new chat AI and all these different technologies that are basically going to become very prolific in the marketplace in the forms of all business. Your disrupting, disruptive technology is always going to be your willingness to have direct face-to-face -face, uh, contact and conversations with other humans. That is what's going to give you the competitive advantage because the other ideas everyone's going to rush to because their perception that these other ideas are easy and more passive. So there it is. Open houses are big advocates of that. Julie, um, let's do one more. Okay, you choose. For today. Um, let's do – so there's another potential spoke, and I don't think you and I came up with any other than if you choose the wrong house. 
Uh, right. We think, yeah. So, by the way, open house system, we talked about that a bunch of times. Obviously, you guys get that when you join Premier Coaching. Just text the word Premier to 47372 or go to premiercoaching.com. Text the word Premier to 47372 or go to, um, you know, premiercoaching.com. Remember, in texting, message and data rates may apply. You can join completely for free. No delay. Okay, now I want to talk about another one that wasn't on our list. Are you talking about dripping? Uh, I'm talking about dripping. <laughs> Okay. Now listen, I am um, I'm, I am uh, going to be 53 this year, <laughs> and let me tell you, I do not want to drip. No, dripping is <laughs> okay? not generally a dripping. Good thing. Dripping is something that is a side effect of p- potentially taking some sort of drug. It's one of those small print things. <laughs> or perhaps but, you should be taking some kind of drug. Hopefully, you guys are saying "ew" and laughing Gross. along with us. Okay, so here's the reality. Uh, CRMs, dripping, building big databases, and uh, building funnels and all that type of thing. Now, we're going to really drill it on on this. Well, let's explain it a little bit more. So you generate a lead. And let's say you generate it from your open house. Let's say you generate it from pay-per-click. Let's say you generate it from um, you know AdWords. You generate it from YouTube. You generate some sort of lead. The lead then gets entered into your CRM. Your CRM is then going to drip on them, send them. It could be videos. It could be textual emails. It could be hopefully not SMSs unless you're doing it legally. Right. So you're going to start sending them in almost always a digital format content. We talked yesterday about geographic farming and things like that. Some of you have used geographic farming at really with great results because what you did is you mailed, say, for example, not a postcard, but a newsletter. Again, in certain markets that works Mm -hmm. really well. But when it comes to CRMs and drip campaigns, I'll give you the punchline. There has been tons of research, not done by Julie and I. We only know anecdotal research from what our coaching clients have told us. But from what other people have researched, long-term drip campaigns have an incredibly low probability of success, less than 1%. And the problem is a lot of you are being told, the second you get your license, buy a CRM. Well, that's expensive. Then it's, you're being told to spend a lot of time tweaking your CRM and getting the CRM to work. And then what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to cram as many leads into that CRM as possible, get your drip campaigns dripping on them endlessly, and then occasionally one of them is going to raise their hand and say, yes, I'd like to do a real estate transaction. I want you to be very clear. Conceptually, I love that idea. It's Don't passive. You? And it's, you know, other than buying this, you know, doing your CRM spend, it's not super expensive. It's definitely passive. You're absolutely not going to get any rejection from it. You just have to wait. Yeah, okay. So let's, let's again, let's run both sides of it. It is passive. You can set up the system to generate dozens, if not thousands of leads that go into your drip campaign. Statistically, numerically speaking, a certain percent of those people are going to want to do a real estate transaction. And a certain percent of those people are going to respond to one of your drip campaigns. And they are going to possibly do a real estate transaction with you. All those things are true. And again, a nice thing about a drip campaign is that it is something that you can mostly set and forget. Once you've got good lead capture pages and funnels put in place, once you get all those feeding correctly to a CRM, yes, hypothetically, that's really going to work. You guys with me so far? So we see the attributes of it, Mm -hmm. but here's the downside. And we already kind of gave you the punchline. All the research has been done years ago and shown that long-term drip campaigns don't really work. But here's really the downside of it in real estate in particular. Because we don't really, we haven't studied many other industries to know whether drip campaigns would work in other industries. I can't see how they would if they don't in real estate. But just you know, here's the downside: your that eight or that buyer or that seller, or that agent, that person uh, that's in your drip campaign, they are not just in your drip campaign. There are many other drip campaigns. 
right? And what makes you think that they're going to even open, read, or even, you know, or even receive? You know, some of you are saying, well, Tim, I can log into my CRM and I can see who opened it. I can see I can read it, who viewed it, how much time they spent on it. Call them. Right. Call them. Stop looking and being proud of yourself because you think that that person, oh, I'm looking at this person and they're spending more and more time looking at the new listings I'm sending to them. Why the hell haven't you called them? Yeah, that's not a contact. Looking at it is not a contact. What you're actually doing is you're providing potential houses for a buyer to buy and that buyer is working with another realtor. If they're even qualified. Exactly. And this is something you guys have to move past. And also because you didn't call them, you don't know if they have a house to sell. So you're not just missing out on one potential transaction. It's at least two. Now notice with these long-term drip campaigns, the under, uh, the overarching problem is it breeds complacency because what happens is you will actually feel a false sense of security having a large database that you're dripping on. Some of you with your cups of coffee in between going to Facebook pages will sit there and study endlessly all the analytics of your drip campaigns and you will then start to feel confident that there's going to be enough people that are going to brew up and do a transaction with you. But you have not actually thought about this. Not only only not are you not only not all you aren't calling them, you aren't having direct conversations with them, but they're also in many other people's drip campaigns. And these are the this is the fallacy of that business model. Now we know that you'll still do it because yeah, all, we do. all of you do, and that's why we're sort of trying to lift the fog from how you're thinking about it. So I coach our elite clients like this, the coaches do. If you are going to do this, because we know that you will, and it's not that we don't want you to have a database and that we don't want you to be systematically sending things out and supplementing what you should be doing actively with this. However, here's the rule. When somebody responds to whatever you sent them digitally, maybe it was a newsletter, a market report, it could be anything, a recipe, whatever you're sending to them that you're dripping on them, you have to call them. Don't just shoot them back another email or another text saying, oh, it's nice to hear from you. You have to call them and have real conversations using a real Easy to learn, but effective script. I'm going to share with you guys a philosophy. The most successful agents we've ever coached have the fewest number of leads. This and is I w- true. I want you to think about this. And this isn't true in all sales. I've read Julie and I consume sales books all the time, right? The goal is not to have a crap ton of leads. The, col- the goal is to have very, very, very few leads, but those are incredibly motivated leads. And if you're just putting people in a drip campaign, I promise you for every 100 that you put in there, there are probably two or three that are rock star leads, but you aren't working with them because you're dripping on them and you're not calling them and you think your drip campaign is going to be so compelling that they're going to want to do business with you. Your job when you get a new lead is to call that lead, call the lead, and then you are to pre-qualify the lead. You are to go ask them tough questions that will result in them either deciding to work with you, setting an appointment with you, or you're going to determine that they're not motivated enough to want to work with you, and you're going to throw the fish back into the water right? You are not going to try to make an unmotivated person to a motivated person. You're not going to try to drip on them. There's no script for that, by the way. (laughs) There is no script for that, right? So your job is to go through leads quickly, ask them questions to qualify them for financial ability and for the motivation, and then to set an appointment. It is not to get gobs and gobs of thousands and thousands of leads. Well, see, that's part of the problem is that they think of them as leads, 
right? <laughs> so the the strategy is not, as you said, our most successful coaching clients don't have oodles and oodles of leads. They have pure leads, smaller uh, lists of people they're actually working with. So part of this, and this is, again, why we have coaching, is to define what a lead actually is. Most of your database is just a contact. It's just a number. Do they think of themselves as a real estate lead? Or did you just run into them at Starbucks, copy down the information and stuff them into your CRM, hoping that someday they're going to do business with you? If they don't think of themselves as a lead, you shouldn't be calling them a lead. Do you guys understanding what we're focusing on here? There is a place for all of this stuff. And if you, we do know you're going to do it. Most of you join real estate brokerages and they give you a CRM. Well, if they're going to give you one, you don't have to pay for it. You might as well use it, right? Mm -hmm. Just do not believe that it's actually going to generate business for you. Because statistically, the numbers are so damn tiny, it just doesn't even matter. It's not something you should be focusing on. Remember, we started the show yesterday and we said, we are assuming that you do not have an endless amount of time to make money and help people. And you are then going to want to focus in on things that are going to get you paid the quickest. Well, hopefully you're understanding that long term, anything isn't going to do it. Dripping is not good. Dripping is not good, right? Now we're going to pick up uh, tomorrow where we left off today. So today we talked about what we talked about today. Geographic farming. Yes. We did that today or yesterday? We talked about open houses and I think we talked about distress too. We talked about it a lot today. I hope you guys were taking notes. Right. So again, you're choosing which spokes you're going to put on your wheel and which order you're going to put on them. We're giving you on on your wheel, we're giving you the pluses and minuses of each of these lead generation methods. You have to decide. And again, it's not a one size fits all approach. When you sign up for our coaching, we're not just going to tell you to do this and tell you to do this. We're going to suggest that these are the orders in which you should be adding the spokes because these are the things that are going to get you the most results the quickest. But we're also going to tell you how much effort it's going to take and if any expenditure is required. Mm -hmm. We're not focusing on specific little ideas. We're focusing on overarching business models that a lot of you guys are following. And uh, we're going to start moving towards the more common ones I think probably tomorrow, which is going to be your centers of influence and past clients, your buy referral and things like that. So that's what we're going to lead into tomorrow on today's or on tomorrow's show. Thank you for continuing to make this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals and at least the United States. Please do subscribe if you're on YouTube. Please do uh, like or what do you do on iTunes? You know what? <laughs> Give us a five-star review on iTunes. (laughs) Exactly. And And become a coaching member. You know, we refer to all of these things like the open house system and some scripts. None of this is difficult, but you make it more difficult the longer you wait. So become a coaching client. Just text the word Premier to 47372 or simply go to premiercoaching.com so that we can see you immediately and strap some rocket boosters to your career and make things a lot easier for you. And remember, when you uh, text the word Premier to 47372 or you go to premiercoaching.com, You can join Premier Coaching for free. And yes, that does include a daily semi-private coaching call. You know this is something you should all be doing, so take action on this now. Remember when texting message and data rates may apply. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. Hello, thank you for having watched this video. Please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's right, and don't forget to hit that like button. Leave your comments and questions below, and we will get right back with you. Thank you for watching this video. Remember to watch the next one. You're going to love that one. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.